The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech podcast feed. Ready for your weekly tech fix? Want to know how technology sets us free? Well, get ready because here it comes. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, entrepreneur and technophile Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now, here's Brian. That's right. The Rembrandt of the podcasting canvas is here once again for another great episode of Sovereign Tech. Uh, I am, of course, as Stephanie just said, Brian Sovereign. And I want to, you know, I want to open up this show really quick with something. Uh, recently, I, for those, maybe some of you don't know uh, this yet, but I, I actually am a, am a guest co-host often on, on Free Talk or on Sunday nights on Free Talk Live. Actually, every Sunday now I'm, 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 a, I'm a co-host. And recently there have been a lot of, uh, a lot of calls about conspiracy theories and I happen to have a, well, quite frankly, a very vast knowledge and, and I'm very well researched in conspiracy theories. I mean, history in general, but, but particularly with conspiracy theories. And I, and I spend a lot of my time debunking most of them, or at least trying to make some sense as to where, you know, most people just end up kind of going off the rails with it. And, you know, you know I just, I want to lay it out one, one more time. I think I said this in the, in the last episode, but I am definitely not a conspiracy theorist uh, by by any means. Um, there are always grains of truth in these conspiracies, and then that's how they get you know built up and built upon. Um, but I just I don't you know, and I don't recommend anybody like do half or even a tenth of the research or spend the time that I have you know in, in looking into these conspiracy theories and things like that. And I do I do want to do an episode in the near future. That's all about conspiracy theories and religion. And now you say, why conspiracy theories and religion? Well, that's just it. The only conspiracy I do believe in is faith. Um, in that religion is a, a singular. I, th- I think that that there was a singular religion thousands of years ago, and that pretty much all of humanity's problems have stemmed from that. And uh, just about anything can be traced to it. Um, so, I mean, I'm I'm rather openly you know, calling out just about any religion and saying this, I realize that, but I mean, that's just, that's just how I feel on it. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm a person who doesn't, you know, admittedly, I don't consider, and if you're a friend with me, like on Facebook or something, you can see it in my quotes, uh, where I have a very popular quote that, you know, that says that government's not the real danger. It's, it's religion. And, you know, I, I, I stand by that. Uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm getting that out there where I'm coming from for you to understand. And yeah. And I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to spend too much time on this. I want to get into the show, but, um, you know, don't, don't misconstrue what I'm saying. Government. I am an anarchist. I, I am, I, I wear a triple black. Okay. I, I am, an, I'm as anarchist as they come. I wish, you know, no, no masters, no rulers. Okay. Uh, so I'm not like saying that government isn't a problem. Of course it is. Uh, but interestingly, I think government and religion are intertwined and I think religion is the older of the two and thus the, uh, the originator of the problem. 
Um, and, and, and please, I, I am saying that yes, Christianity is, is, uh, you know, in, in my opinion, a, uh, you know, it's, it's part of this problem too. Okay. So, cause a lot of people come from this, it's like, well, yeah, okay, right. There, there's all this, it's all religious, but it's all satanic and all that stuff. No, they're, they're all the same thing. Supernatural superstitious belief all falls, falls under the same rules. Um, and, and particularly in, in the conspiracy that I believe in known as superstition. So anyway, uh, let's go ahead with the show and the story of the week that we're going to do that we're opening up with this week is an interesting one. It's from life hacker. Uh, and it's why I'm glad my smartphone broke. Uh, this is by Simon Horup Eskildson. Hopefully I got that right. And obviously just from the beginning, you know, from the, from the tagline, I'm like, Oh, why would you be glad that your smartphone broke? But let's read the story. Let's see what Simon has to say. In November, I dropped my iPhone four while running and the screen broke. Well, if I dropped an iPhone, I'd probably be happy that it broke too. Just kidding. iPhones are great. Um, my first instinct was to go and buy the new iPhone five. But before doing that, I decided to have a go to have go without a smartphone for at least a month to find out how much I really depended on it. I did something similar, but we'll talk about that more later. I've seen a smartphone user for about five years, or I've been a smartphone user for about five years. I started with the iPhone three grew to the three GS and later to the four. I was well on my way to get the five when my four broke looking back. I appreciate that it broke in contemporary life with smartphones and computers were always connected during waking hours. I was available on Facebook, Twitter, email, iMessage, my phone, hip chat, Skype, and in person. Although I w- disabled push notifications early on, I was still present most places. A few spare minutes would usually result in checking my email, Twitter, and Facebook. I was a little bit everywhere all the time, but not truly anywhere without the temptation available from my pocket. Uh, or yeah, without the temptation of temptation available from my pocket, I feel like I am more present being wherever I am. Now I was certainly no addict, but it's led to a small freedom. I encourage you to experience. I've realized that not being constantly plugged in has notable benefits. When I am not on my computer, only my immediate friends and coworkers will be able to reach me by phone. My smartphone helped fill little voids of time with mindless entertainment and shifted me away from the context of whatever I just did and was about to do, silently replacing what I see as mandatory reflection. This context switching, I found, to to play a larger role than I thought. It's been rewarding to indulge more into my own thoughts and reflections in lieu of attempting to occupy every gap of time with angry birds, news, and tweets. Uh, I had a few concerns when I went back when I went back to my Nokia brick, um, the Nokia brick, meaning he, he got a dumb phone, which is the opposite of a smartphone. Uh, no camera. While I've never taken many pictures, I like my sporadic Instagram posts. When I go traveling, I've always liked to have just a dozen pictures to reflect back on the trip. Uh, perhaps it's time I just borrow a camera when I go traveling or just use none at all. I will figure this out when I go traveling in the summer. Uh, no music. Frequently when I walk, I like to have music in my ears to ease the experience. However, I decided not to buy an iPod. Since I got rid of my iPhone, I've definitely missed this. However, most of the time when I really want to li- really want music, I'm sitting down able to use my computer. I found that walking to school without music wasn't scary at all. Just as I started running without uh, music a good year before my iPhone broke, it gets you out of your bubble and lets you experience your surroundings. Of course, somehow, sometimes it's nice to just leave yourself out. Uh, currently, 
I have no plans to buy an iPod. No maps. I used maps on my iPhone a lot when visiting friends, traveling, and using public transport. My sense of direction is decent, so I thought getting back into relying on myself and improve these capabilities wouldn't be so terrible. I found that having no GPS in my pocket requires more planning. Generally, it has not been a problem. In foreign countries where I use this the most, I use physical maps anyhow, since data costs are still ridiculous. There's usually nothing wrong with asking a stranger or calling whoever you are visiting anyway. Um, three months of using an old phone led to some more unexpected discoveries. I've started calling people more. Uh, on an iPhone, texting is extremely convenient. Since I switched to my ancient Nokia phone, I found myself calling people more simply because it's more accommodating. It's funny how little I called people on my iPhone and how surprised parts of, and, and how surprised parts of my generation is when they receive a call. I have rediscovered the core functions of my phone by indulging in pleasant conversations with people I used to just text. Improved arrangements and, uh, and generally had more fun communicating. I don't care for my phone anymore. I just drop it into my pocket and my bag and go. Uh, you know, this means I carry nothing in my pockets anymore. I have nothing to distract myself, and for odd reasons, that makes me feel free. No longer do I have to check where my phone is before going to sleep. I just don't care for it, since it's not an expensive item anymore that shouldn't get scratches. The fewer things I have to worry about, the better. My concerns were, were mostly right, but I, I can live without these things. The concerns listed in the previous sections were right. Uh, I, I, I do miss having a camera, I do miss music, and I do miss maps. However, I also found that I can live without these things, and that appeals to me and is a major pro for me. It's handy to have all these things in one device, but for now, the pros outweigh the cons for me. Uh, currently, I do not see any convincing reason for me to go back to getting a smartphone. It was funny to observe how natural it feels to have such a powerful device always in your pocket, and how dependent I was on it. How natural it would have felt to pitch in $1,000 for a new phone. In many ways, a smartphone has become a mandatory extension of the mind, but I feel it has had no major impact on my life to leave it behind. I have come to deeply enjoy uh, to being completely plugged out. You know, when I am not at my computer, I, I, always, I enjoy not always being up to date and not having one more expensive item to worry about. It is a small temptation in your pocket that can make you lose focus on the people you're around. Only charging my phone every, you know, every second week is an amazing feat, too. He's referencing how, um, you know, smartphones, you have to charge them, like, sometimes even twice, three times a day. I challenge you to ditch your smartphone for a month and write about it. Um, well, I actually did this. Uh, for about two months, I, I ditched my smartphone. And... Um, you know, so I'm not going to write about it, but I will, I will talk about it a bit. And I think there's, there's some really great points that Simon's making here, you know, in, in this, uh, essentially this editorial. And one of them being the, the one that I, I will say that I completely agree with is the losing connection with the people that are right in front of you. Um, I think if you're just constantly like looking at your phone, that certainly, you know, there can be like a loss of connection, um, you know, between you and whoever else is with you. And that's, that's something to think about. I mean, you don't want to get lost in like, you know, in that world all the time. Cause it's, it's good. It's again, it's good to connect. I mean, you're there with that person for a reason. So why not connect with them instead of, you know, looking at your phone? Um, I don't know what the modern like dating scene is like, but I imagine that it helps break up like awkward things, but you know, having a phone there to be able to, you know, 
get through the silence or something and, and maybe come up with like something random to talk about. Uh, so, you know, I could see where it's a good or a bad in, in that situation. I don't know. But I, you know, this, this lack of connectedness that, that Simon is claiming, you know, to enjoy. Now that's, that's kind of where I have a problem. You know, the no camera thing, if my phone didn't have a camera, I'd be fine with that. I, you know, there's, there's some people out there. I'm not, I'm not insulting anybody that, that takes a lot of pictures or any photographers. I think it's great. And they do, you know, beautiful, a lot of them do beautiful work. Um, or they do things that are just important to themselves. But like my thing with pictures is I think there's so many people that just go way too far with pictures and like, even like videos and recording and everything because, you know, enjoy the moment. Like there's those, there's always like that guy, you know, or, 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 or that woman that, you know, is constantly taking pictures and they're not actually in the moment. They're not, th- this is similar to what he's talking about with the phone itself. As far as cameras go, I think they can, they can definitely fall prey to the same problem to where, you know, you're, you're not actually living in the moment that you, that you're in, you're too busy taking pictures or people can't enjoy themselves because they're, they're, you know, it's like your grandmother saying, Oh no, 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 everybody huddle together and smile. You know, when you're actually not smiling in the situation you're in or something and, and it's all very annoying and just, and you know, so cameras can ruin a moment as much as they can capture one. Um, so the camera thing, I wouldn't be so, you know, so I wouldn't mind so much not having, but that connectedness, now, Simon mentioned, you know, that, that it's amazing how quickly your, your brain considers your phone an extension of, your, you know, of itself. And I think that, I think there's something to that, you know, I, I mean, because there's a lot of articles like this. I mean, I think Simon's being pretty even handed and he's, you know, claiming this is just how he feels. But there's a lot of people that are coming out, especially today and really for the past 10 years, maybe they've been doing this where they just come out and say, it's like, you know, cell phones are, are killing everything. Uh, the Internet's killing everything, you know, it's ruining human society and all this stuff. Um, nobody's actually touching each other and they're not, you know what I mean? They're, they're, everything's virtual, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I, I just, I, I can't agree with that. I think that that world interconnectedness that the phone allows for, while agreed, you know, when you're in a, in a very, in a personal situation, you know, you want to pay attention to the people around you. But I think that, 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 that constant interconnectedness is really bringing all of us closer and it's eliminating the, I mean, every, yes, there, you know, everybody's an, an individual. And so everybody has genuine differences from each other, but the superficial differences that are created by faiths and governments are going away. And I think in large part due to the internet and now smartphones, because now, you know, you're, you're noticing it all the time and it's bringing people together. It just in, in incredibly unique ways Um, you know, I used to, I actually, I used to hate social media, like literally hate. Um, and you know, I didn't like Facebook. I actually never had a, a old MySpace account. Um, but yeah, I do have a new MySpace account. Not that I ever really use it, but anyway, I used to hate social media and, but the one, the one thing I always conceded was that, you know, for long distance, keeping in touch with people long distance, Facebook is great. You know, if the person's right in front of you, why are you talking on Facebook or whatever? Um, but for, for long distance, you know, communications, it, it, it's, it's, it's practically essential. And I always understood that. And that's kind of what got me to get a Facebook page in the first place was just, you know, for, for that long distance thing. But then also I noticed that it kind of, that it brought, it brought me into a group, like in New York, it brought me into a group of people that were also, 
uh, liberty minded that I, I just could have never known because where do like, particularly with liberty minded people, where do liberty minded people even meet, you know, anywhere, unless you're like in New Hampshire, uh, you know, where, where, where do you go? There is nowhere to go. And so Facebook kind of brought the ideas together, you know, and without even like really without judging the person based on any kind of social standing or looks. Um, so I saw that as a great advantage and I still do. And yeah, so, so there, there is, there is a good thing to this. And I, and I do think, I think this, this mass interconnectedness, you know, or like, yeah, this mass interconnectedness of information um, this is all, all this is all a smartphone is really, it's a library on steroids. Okay. It's human knowledge. It's humans coming together, you know, constantly. And to think that that's a bad thing. No, no, I, I, I think it's, I think it's a very good thing. Um, you know, and, and there, there's something to be said. I know a lot of people like that stop doing similar to what Simon does because all they're hearing is bad news, bad news, bad news. Well, that's fine. But I wouldn't just people that are like that negative, you know, and constantly have the sky is falling attitude. I don't I don't want them in my personal life, let alone in my virtual life, in my digital life. So, I, you know, I, I would I'd stop spending time with them either way. You know what I mean? And, and all you have to do is click unfriend or or something or you don't have to look at that news source or you don't have to do this, you know. So the choices are there. You know, I think that's what a lot of people dwell on is like, oh, there's so much negativity. Well, then, you know, no one's forcing you to listen or read the negativity. And but at the same time, there's so much positive, you know, and really great things coming out of there. Uh, you know that I mean, why you wouldn't want to be, you know, interconnected with that is, is kind of beyond me. Um, but, you know, and then there's nothing wrong with wanting solace either. You know, wanting to be alone. I mean, that I I can totally understand that. Uh, you know, there, there's 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 plenty of times you know in my life where I felt, yeah, look, I really just want to be alone. But then, just put the smartphone down, you know, and 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 think to yourself. And in fact, you know, this is the interesting thing too with this with Simon's article is that he says like, well, now I can you know think about, you know, I get I can like reflect on things. And honestly, I use that interconnectedness that a smartphone allows for me that's what I use to, to share my thoughts, you know, my reflections. So, I mean, you know, it's unfortunate that, that Simon feels, you know, that his, that his reflection, you know, that he's not having time to reflect on anything. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's a good thing, you know, to, to kind of cathartically get those reflections out. Sometimes the smartphones allow for that. Also his comment with angry birds. Now this is, this is, a I should be talking about this on game talk really, but yeah, I can't stand mindless games. I want a story. I want something, you know, just to just mindlessly like do something without a goal, without a real goal or point or that creates some kind of discovery. That's very annoying. And I totally agree that probably 90% of the games on smartphones are positively mindless. You know, I mean, they take skill, you know, no doubt about that. Um, but they're mindless and, and they're money suckers too. And they're not money suckers in a good way. Uh, if a game's good and it wants my money, I'll give it my money. But but a lot of these just really aren't worth it. So anyway, you know, if you have thoughts on this, uh, you know, send me an email, sovereigntech at hush.ai, and I'd be interested to hear, you know, what what you think. You know, have you have you gone down from you know from a smartphone to a dumb phone? Like I said, I did it, 
And I'm glad I did it because then I was able to see just how great and how enhancing and, and life enriching uh, smartphones can be, in my opinion. So this is Brian Sovereign, and we'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with me, Brian Sovereign, the man who always wears triple black. Sovereign Tech is a show about science and technology and how it can set you free. Remember, Sovereign Tech only endorses businesses and products that we genuinely believe in and support ourselves. If you have a product or website that you would like to have reviewed, you can email the show at SovereignTech at Hush.ai. Please keep in mind that the reviews on Sovereign Tech pull no punches. Thanks for listening. Tech Roulette. Want to play? It is time for Tech Roulette, where I go over the stories that get submitted to me, um, you know, through email or through the Tumblr page at SovereignTech.tumblr.com. Interesting note, you can actually type in SovereignTech.com now, and it will take you right to the Tumblr page. Full thanks go to my lovely and hyper-intelligent producer and partner, Stephanie Murphy, for that. And... Uh, let's get right into the tech roulette. This is from listener Larry, and the story is it's from Wired, and it's military must prep now for mutant, quote-unquote, future researchers warn, and this is by David X. Uh, let's go right with the story. What, what the heck does all that mean? And the U.S. military is already using or fast developing a wide range of technologies meant to give troops what California uh Polytechnic State University researcher Patrick Lynn calls mutant powers. Greater strength and endurance, superior cognition, better teamwork, fearlessness. But the risk, ethics, and policy issues arising out of these so-called military human enhancements, including drugs, special nutrition, electroshock, gene therapy, and robotic implants and prosthesis, are poorly understood. Lynn and his colleagues uh, Maxwell Melhan and Keith Abney posit in a new report for the Greenwall Foundation. Scheduled for wide release tomorrow. In other words, we better think long and hard before we unleash our army of super soldiers. All this stuff will be linked to in the show notes. You can go to the SoundCloud page and catch them, soundcloud.com slash sovereign tech. If we don't, we could find ourselves in big trouble down the road. Among the nightmare scenarios, botched enhancements could harm the very soldiers they're meant to help and spawn pricey lawsuits. Tweaked troopers could run afoul of international law potentially sparking a diplomatic crisis every time the U.S. deploys troops overseas. And poorly planned enhancements could provoke disproportionate responses by America's enemies, resulting in a potentially devastating arms race. So they're talking about escalation. Uh, we build mutants, and then the guys you know, overseas, who, whatever, the other gang across the seas is going to you know, make more brutal mutants, something like that. With military enhance enhancements and other technologies, the genie's already out of the bottle. The benefits are too irresistible, and the military-industrial complex still has too much momentum, Lynn says in an email. The best, the best we can do now is to help develop policies in advance to prepare for these new technologies, not post hoc or after the fact, as we're seeing with drones and cyber weapons. Okay, now, now bear in mind, this is not coming from Infowars.com. This is coming from Wired. Okay, you know, just just to make sure that that you're not thinking, what is he reading? Anyway, case in point, on April 18th, 2002, a pair of Air Force F-16 fighter pilots returning from a 10-hour mission over Afghanistan saw flashes on the ground 18,000 feet below them. 
Thinking he and his wingman were under fire by insurgents, uh, Major Harry Schmidt dropped a 500-pound laser-guided bomb. There were no insurgents, just Canadian troops on a live-fire exercise, four of whom were killed in the blast. Friendly fire. Friendly. The Air Force ultimately dropped criminal charges against Schmidt and wingman Major William Umbach, but did strip them of their wings. In a letter of reprimand, Air Force Lieutenant General Bruce Carlson accused Schmidt of willful misconduct and gross poor judgment. Schmidt countered, saying he was jittery from taking the stimulant uh, dexedrine, an amphetamine that the Air Force routinely prescribes for pilots flying long missions. I don't know what the effect was supposed to be, Schmidt told Chicago Magazine. All I know is something was happening to my body and brain. The Food and Drug Administration warns that dexedrine can cause new or worse aggressive behavior or hostility, but the Air Force still blamed the pilots. Well, wait, what a great, let's give a drug to people who are already trained killers, and make no mistake, I was one of them, I was in the Army. Let's give, let's give them a drug that brings on new or worse aggressive behavior or hostility. Brilliant idea. Go government. The Canadian friendly fire tragedy underscores the gap between technology and policy of military human enhancement. Authorities in the bombing case could have benefited from clear guidelines for determining whether the drugs, rather than the pilots, were to blame for the accidental deaths. Are there ethical, legal, so, psychosocial, or operational limits on the extent to which a warfighter may be enhanced? Lynn Melman and, and Abney ask in the report. Now imagine a future battlefield teeming with amphetamine-fueled pilots, a cyborg infantry, and commanders whose brains have been shocked into achieving otherwise impossible levels of tactical cunning. These enhancements and others have tremendous combat potential, the researchers state. Somewhere in between robotics and biomedical research, we might arrive at the perfect future warfighter, one that is part machine and part human, striking a formidable balance between technology and our frailties. In this possible mutant future, what enhancements should be regulated by international law or banned outright? If an, implant, if an implant malfunctions or a drug causes unexpected side effects, who's responsible? And if one side deploys a terrifying cyborg army, could that spark a devastating arms race as nations scramble to out-enhance each other? Does the possibility that military enhancements will simply lead to a continuing arms race mean that it is unethical to even begin to research or employ them? Lynn Melman and, and Abney wonder. The report authors also question whether the military shouldn't get uh, shouldn't get give potential enhancement subjects the right to opt out, even though the subjects are otherwise subject to military training, rules, and discipline. Uh, should warfighters be required to give their informed consent to being enhanced, and if so, what should that process be, the researchers ask. The ethical concerns certainly have precedent. In a series of experiments in the 1970s aimed at developing hallucinogenic weapons, the Pentagon gave soldiers LSD, apparently without the subjects fully understanding the consequences of, the, of using the drug. During the Cold War, U.S. troops were also exposed to nerve gas, psychochemicals, and other toxic substances, as is all proven, on an experimental basis and without their consent. Moreover, it's theoretically possible that future biological enhancements could be subject to existing international laws and treaties, potentially limiting the enhancements or prohibiting them outright. But the application of existing laws and treaties is unclear at best. Could enhanced warfighters be considered to be weapons in themselves and therefore subject to regulation under the laws of armed conflict? The researchers write. Or could an enhanced warfighter count as a biological agent under the Biological and Toxin Weapons Convention? This is talking a lot about the, the laws that have come out of the Geneva Conventions uh, with the UN. 
Lynn, Melman, and Abney aren't sure. To be safe, they propose the military consider several rules when planning on an, an enhancement. Is there a legitimate military purpose? Is it necessary? Do the benefits outweigh the risks? Can subjects' dignity be maintained and the cost to them minimized? Is the cost to them minimized? Wow. Um, is there full informed consent, transparency, and are the cost of enhancements fairly distributed? Finally, are systems in place to hold accountable those overseeing the enhancement? Whether following these guidelines or others, the Pentagon should start figuring out a framework for military human enhancement now, Lynn and his colleagues advise. In comic books and science fiction, we can suspend belief about the details associated with fantastical technologies and abilities as represented by human enhancements, they warn. But in the real world, as life imitates art and mutant powers really are changing the world, the details matter and will require, require real investigations. Uh, shocking stuff, to say the least. Absolutely shocking. Uh, I don't know what else can even really be said about that. Actually, there's a lot to be said about that, and I'm going to say it. Um, you know, they, at the end there, they bring up, well, yeah, you know, science fiction talks about this here and there. So let's talk a little bit about that science fiction. Um, I'm reminded of an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation um, where there was a planet that the Enterprise goes to that had, they did have genetically modified, or however they were modified, soldiers. And the people didn't, you know, their war was over, and so, but the soldiers were bred for war, so they couldn't really, uh, you know, be be reintegrated in society. At least that's what the bulk of the people on the planet thought. And so they gave them their own little island and they were treated like crap. And, you know, I, I got to wonder, I mean, when these people, when you do so many enhancements, when do they cease to be human? And when do, you know, the masters become afraid of the slaves? Um, but, you know, the, the real problem I have with this article is... Yeah, I mean, there's that. There's the human rights issue of it, of course. You know, and obviously, you know, they're talking about international law and international banning. I don't believe in international law. I don't believe in international anything other than that there shouldn't be borders. Um, but the real question here that they're not touching on is, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's the science behind war? What's the science behind violence and death and killing? No one's asking the question, wait, I got, here's, here's a real solution. Let's figure out how to make war go out of fashion. Let's figure out, maybe we should be spending our time thinking about, you know, what is leading, what, what's the psychosis that's leading to people wanting to be in the military or leading entire nations to war with each other. How about we spend millions of dollars on that? Though I think a lot of people, a lot of philosophers and others already have the answers for that. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of actual genuine uh, psychological science behind it. Maybe we should be looking into how can we have peace instead of making better soldiers? It, it, I, I mean, the, you know, these scientists are claiming that they're covering so much, the, the, the main three scientists from this article, they're covering so much ground of ethics when the, the ethics of war themselves aren't even being questioned. You know, I'm, I'm reminded, you know, I, I kind of glamorize the, the Library of Alexandria from thousands of years ago, from a couple thousands of years ago anyway. And, you know, in the Library of Alexandria, there was tremendous scientists that figured out everything long before any scientist in the past 300 years did. They figured out that the earth was round. They knew the circumference of the earth. They knew that the, uh, you know, the earth went around the sun. They, all these things they figured out. Incredible scientists using very simplistic tools at that. But then they never questioned 
is slavery right or wrong? How should women be treated? Interestingly, uh, maybe they got to that last one because the last uh, curator, the last librarian, head librarian of the Library of Alexandria was a woman named Hypatia, who was a, a veritable genius as far as we can tell. And she was the head of the Library of Alexandria. And, you know, so maybe culture started to talk about that sort of thing at that time. But unfortunately, a bunch of Christians burned the Library of Alexandria down, took Hypatia out of the Library of Alexandria, skinned her alive and burned her. Because she was a woman teaching knowledge. Anyway, back to with with the original story. No one's asking the deeper question. Why is there war? Not why, why and how should we make better soldiers, but maybe, maybe they should be thinking about, wait a minute, why and how can we stop all of this violence in and of itself? I get very disturbed by this. I really do. You know, in fact, I even, I, I was offered a job, um, at iRobot in Massachusetts and a very high paying job. I, I like iRobot. I think the idea of robotic vacuum cleaners is awesome, but then they took me around the building and there was a door that said FWS. And I saw that and I knew exactly what it was. It was future weapon systems. And I turned the job down. I said, no, I'll have no part in that because I figured that that's, that's pretty much where they wanted me was working in that division. They didn't want me working on vacuum cleaners, which I would have loved to have done. No one's, no, there, there seems to be very few scientists, I'm sure they're out there, but there seems to be very few scientists who are just saying, why are we fighting in the first place? What is all, the, what is causing all this? Stuff to think about. It's a future that's coming. I'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. Are you ready? I've never seen anyone so treated like a, a god in my life. Brian Sovereign as guest co-host tomorrow night, and so that should be a good show. On that note, uh, what we just we added Brian Sovereign. Okay, we haven't. Oh, is he good? He's been in the audience. He's, oh, yeah, he's certainly got opinions on things. Yes. I'm so close to being like God. No one is above me. Okay, absolutely no one. I don't take <laughs> orders from anybody, and I mean that. That's. How much closer to God can you get? Is there anything he doesn't do better than everyone else? Oh, that's just his way of talking. He's one of the best. Break it down! Catch Sovereign Tech, the show about technology and how it can set you free with me, Brian Sovereign. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N at SoundCloud.com slash Sovereign Tech. It's a website of the week. It is time for website of the week where I kindly show you some of the wonderful things that are happening on the web as far as websites go. Um, this this week, though, uh, it's going to be more of a web application. This is something that gets put into be a Chrome, Safari, or Firefox's network with Internet Explorer, as far as I know. And what this is, the website is crypto as in cryptography, 
C-R-Y-P-T-O dot cat, C-A-T. And that's actually the name of the web application and the website. It's CryptoCat. And what this is, it's, uh, again, it works within, it's like a, it's a plugin that you can put into Chrome or Firefox or Safari for Apple. And it's an open source web application, and it's designed to create secure and encrypted online chatting. It's like an IM built into your browser, or that you put into your browser, and allows you to, you know, do encrypted chat. Uh, it uses what's called um, off-the-record messaging, okay, uh, which is a protocol that exists. Google uses that, too. All kinds of people do. And uh, it, it generates, uh, you know, new key pairs for every chat. So each chat is unique and never occurs again. So you can't like really like follow a list of chats. Uh, it uses what's called perfect forward secrecy. Okay. And I mean, it, it's really, really good. And it's very basic and, and it's nice. Like the design is, is very simple. It looks very, very 80s actually. And gives you like a nice hacker feel in, ju in just using it. Uh, you can use it within Tor. Of course, Tor generally uses Firefox, so it works with that. So if you if you really want to do some anonymous texting from your, uh, essentially, or, or instant messaging from your computer, this might be one of the easiest and best ways. And, you know, you could have a VPN, which we've talked about on this show before, uh, virtual private network, you, and then you can use Tor on top of the VPN, and then you could use CryptoCat within tour and you create your own little chat room. You can come up with a name. You don't have, this isn't something you have to log into. Uh, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to create credentials or anything. You can choose a name, any name, whatever, and people can add in. And, uh, it's just really, really basic stuff. And that's good. Basic is good. Um, and now here's the thing. Okay. You know, the, this chat that goes on, you know, can it be tracked by a key logger? Can it be tracked by um by people knowing your you know your um uh your ISP you know information and all of that um yes of course um you know your IP address is, is still kind of attached to this that's what now that's why you'd want like a VPN and Tor for because then it could like kind of throw all that off um because again in my opinion there is no perfect anonymity doesn't exist it doesn't exist it doesn't exist okay not if you want to like do something you get what i'm saying not if you want to like do something that you know for for like everyday interactions um it just it just doesn't exist even going to the grocery store quite quite frankly you're there's ways to track what you're buying and what you're doing and where you are at the grocery store etc but anyway for just nice simple encrypted um you know uh instant messaging and something that, that, you know, disappears as soon as you're done. And, uh, crypto cat really does the job. I mean, if, if for some reason you have a need for that, um, whatever that may be, maybe in other countries and other countries, you know, this is, this is where a lot of these, these encryption things, you know, come into play, um, is in other countries where this stuff is either blocked or like really being watched, uh, through various means, you know, I mean, countries like maybe like Iran, uh, even though Iran isn't like that bad about their internet, but like maybe Iraq, uh, or, or any of those other kind of countries where, where there's really like people are watching, you know, or maybe in China. And so, so it's really great for that. And so if you're in other countries, you know, actually, if you find, if you're in another country and, and for some reason you can't access crypto.cat, the website, or you can't access, you know, you can't use the, uh, the web application, send me an email at sovereigntechathush.ai. I'd be interested to hear about that. Uh, maybe I'll ask some people. There's some friends of the show that are international people and, um, 
you know, and, and, and maybe they could let me know about that. Uh, there's nothing about it on Wikipedia, whether or not it doesn't work in certain countries, but just a, just a really, 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 it's written in JavaScript, you know, full disclosure, we'll get that out there, but, uh, but it's just a handy, very simple, very basic, nice little way of, of doing encrypted messaging. Um, and again, you know, I mean, and if you have a use for that, that that's great. Um, I, you know, I think everything's like, so just so watched, you know what I mean? Especially in America, uh, which I happen to be a denizen of in, in the United States. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that there's really any way to do anything that cryptographically to where you're like really that secure. Uh, so you always want to, even when you're using something like this, you always want to, I mean, this is an old hacker rule that you always act like someone's seeing what you're doing or what you're typing. And you can say that that's kind of paranoia, but you know, I mean, that, that's just, that's just one of the oldest rules for hacking. I mean, this is back in the eighties when, you know, things like room 641A didn't exist because that wasn't built till 2003. Um, anyway, you know, I, I just, I, I saw this, it's real nice and simple. It got put together a, a couple of years ago and you know, they're already up to version two. So this has some history and it just does, does a really nice, simple job. Uh, and, and it's great, you know, just, I mean, beyond even the encrypted end of things, just to like have like a nice, simple, you know, uh, chat room that you could create with this, you know, that everybody can jump in on and you don't have to like log in and, and log in with your Facebook account and all that stuff, which I never recommend. It's just really great that that's there. And, and it just, it genuinely works really well. And it uses like ASCII, um, you know, symbols and everything. So you can put in hearts and all this stuff. It's, it's great. So crypto.cat, it'll link to it in the show notes and I'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace. It is Babylon 5. All fighter squadrons launched. Return fire. Freedom! Watch Babylon 5. You can watch Babylon 5 and experience the greatest show in television history. See the entire series completely free by going to the wb.com slash shows slash Babylon 5. Software of the Week. It is Software of the Week. And it is I, Brian Sovereign, the Golden Stallion of the tech world. And... We've got a great piece of software here. It's something I actually, I hope everybody's already using, but if not, uh, jump on this. It's, it's really great. And what it's, it's called VLC media player. Uh, the VL VL stands for video land. That's the name of the company that makes it. And this it's a media player. So imagine, you know, it's like windows media player or like iTunes or, you know, whatever, uh, not like iTunes as to where it has a store, but as in that it can play MP3s and videos. Um, and this, I mean, this is like the the creme de la creme of, you know, of, of media players. It's totally self-contained. Now, what's great about, all right, well, first off, let me say this. It can play anything. Like, there's not a video format, MKV, uh, you know, RP, whatever the things, the real, that, that ridiculous real player format that's out there, um, ASF. 
you know, MP3, HAAC plus two version two, you know, I mean, it plays it all. There's nothing it can't play. Uh, WMVs, it can play anything that Microsoft's developed. It plays everything. And has, you know, it has uh, equalizer features, all, all kinds of like nice little features inside of it, uh, as well as volume uh, intensification, meaning it can actually raise the volume higher than your computer, uh, than, than your operating system can actually produce, which is really cool. Um, but here's the great thing about it is it's entirely self-contained. As in, it doesn't have any dependencies. You don't have to download any, um, you know, any uh, a codecs for various for various file formats. It doesn't even even to play WMVs. It uses its own codecs. It doesn't require anything from Windows. Now, here's 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 the great thing about that. Uh, a lot of people, not saying I do this, but a lot of people download porn. Okay, and that's the you know whatever. Sex is great. Love sex. Um, but a lot of people download porn, but a lot of the porn that people put up onto like torrent sites and or whichever have viruses built into them or they have some kind of like weird password protection or something like that. And so if you just start to play them, especially if it's like a WMV file, it accesses what that what that video will do. And it's not just that it's not just porn uh, like, you know, movie scene releases, what they call them, you know, movie releases that are in theaters, but you're downloading them and watching them on your computer while they're still in theaters or before they're released on home video. Um, what they'll do is, is they'll they'll, they'll kind of tag in like malware with those. And like with with media player, with Windows Media Player, when a WMV plays, it actually accesses a lot of the core system, a lot of the, the core files of Windows. And so it just it creates this virus in your machine and you're screwed. VLC, when a video like that, that has malware and all that stuff into it, since VLC is totally self-contained, that also means it can be portable. Yeehaw. You know how much I love that, especially with portable apps.com. Um, it, 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 the video won't play and it'll just like a look, it looks like a bunch of weird colors, but so you can test the video out to make sure that it's, that it's good, that it doesn't have malware attached or anything, or like it connects to Java or something. You can test the video out with VLC and no harm done. And you can just go and delete it and your computer's safe because the whole thing's self-contained. Now VLC, it doesn't, you know, it is open source, but I, I think to some, there's a reason not a lot of people adopt it. Um, and that I guess some people like, don't like the fact that it uses proprietary codecs built into it. So while it is open source, it's not entirely open source because it is using again, proprietary codecs, uh, but it is cross platform. It plays on everything. BSD, Linux, Mac, you name it's all over the place. It is awesome. I'll link to it in the show notes, how to, how to download it. VLC media player. Awesome stuff. I'll be back with more. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Stop playing those video games! Uh, 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 just a minute, Mom. Game Talk. It is time for Game Talk, my favorite part of the show, because, hey, I love games. Um, this week we got kind of an interesting, this is a bit of an older article. Uh, it's from, from last year, from, from July 16, 2012. 
But it's an interesting concept that I've wanted to talk about for a little while. Uh, and it's from PC Gamer, and the article is called Will Cloud-Based Gaming Kill Off Gaming PCs? Okay, and they talked to David Perry uh, of Gaikai, you know, who's one of kind of the spearheaders of, uh, you know, um, of cloud gaming. And what cloud gaming is, just real quick, what cloud gaming is, is that you actually, you don't install a game onto a console or a machine, but all that happens is, is that, you know, or a computer, all that happens is that the computer or console accesses the internet and accesses a server somewhere else and plays the game on that server. And the advantage to this, real quick, is that, you know, you, your hardware is practically minimal. All you need is something that connects to the Internet. It doesn't have to have a fancy graphics card or a whole lot of processing power because all it has to handle is is the video of what the server is transmitting. It's a great idea, um, but it hasn't really taken off so far yet. But anyway, let's go right to the article. Uh, David Perry is a cloud-based gaming evangelist, as well as the man behind MDK, Earthworm Jim, and Enter the Matrix. All great games, in my opinion. Uh, Sony are big fans, too. They just bought this cloud-based gaming service, Gaikai, for $380 million. Gaikai lets you stream games via your browser, which are actually running on remote PCs elsewhere in the world. As long as your device can handle basic video and your connection is good enough, internet connection, you can play high-end games on extremely modest PCs, consoles, or even standalone TVs. But what does this mean for PC gamers? We talked to David at Developed and asked him whether the days of neon-lit monster rigs are over. The PC model reminds Perry of the days of arcades, according to David. There are always going to be gamers willing to pay a premium in order to experience the most powerful technology available. Back in the day, those players went to arcades. These days, they own PCs. All true. It's a bigger question than it sounds. I'd go back to the start of the industry. Arcades were a very important piece, says Perry. You could play games at home, but if you wanted the deluxe version, you had to buy a $10,000 cabinet. So we all just put quarters into the cabinet and took turns. Since then, there's been this interesting shift as things at home have become more capable. As it got closer and closer to arcade quality, uh, you could see people drifting, continues Perry. Then when it got to arcade quality at home and the arcades couldn't keep up, people asked, why would I play at the arcades? I have it right here. And that's a great point that, that David Perry's making, because I remember when the Dreamcast came out, September 9th, 1999, um, they released Soul Calibur, which was a sequel to Soul Blade, a very popular uh, fighting game. And Soul Calibur on the Dreamcast, it had just come out in arcades like a couple months before the Dreamcast came out. But Soul Calibur for the Dreamcast looked better and had more features. The graphics were actually better than the cabinet, than, than the full arcade game that you could go to the mall and go to the arcade, which is a great thing to do, and and play. So, why, yeah, so the point's great. Why, would, why go to the arcade when... Um, you know, right in front of me is a better looking version of the same game. Anyway, we'll go on with the article. I think the PC business is that on steroids, explains the guy Kai founder. David admits that PC gamers passion for hands-on modification will, rem will remain, but points out that powering the cloud could push even the most experienced overclockers to their limit. So you see these guys making overclocked rigs, meaning gaming PCs, solid state drives come along and that's a given. Now you've got Radeons, that's a video card, with solid states so you can get the maximum performance possible. You just put a $1,000 card in your machine, meaning video card again, uh, what if we were to put two in the cloud? Or what if we could offer you four? The idea of having scalability in the cloud beyond the price that you'd be willing to pay at home is very interesting. The 
The unlimited power of the cloud is the draw for me. It's something that takes some time, but it's inevitable. The super, super hardcore gamers are going to keep building their rigs until one day they see something and they say, God damn it, I don't want to spend that much money, but I want to experience that. That day will come, and it will come from the cloud, concluded Perry. Okay, so that's, that's, that's a pretty interesting article. Um, I don't, you know, his sentiment on the arcade thing, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think there's still a lot to be had from arcades. There's still a lot to be had. I mean, we're in the age of multiplayer, where multiplayer is common. The actually, multiplayer was done 30 years ago. You know, that for PC gamers, that's old hat. For console, it's like some kind of second coming. Um, but anyway, so so with the arcades, I you know, I don't agree with this point that uh, you know, there's no use to going to the arcade anymore. I understand his point, and it's still kind of accurate that yes, the home experience was outweighing the arcade. But uh, but just real quick with the arcade, you do miss out on you know getting together with like you know three or four guys hanging out. Uh, you can do this at home now too, but that doesn't seem to happen either. You know, just hanging out or hopping into you know like like you play something like Steel Thunder. Um, or Steel Talon, I'm sorry. It was Steel Talon, which was a helicopter simulator in the arcades uh, in the 90s. And you got into, like, this big, you know, machine. You know, like, it wasn't just an arcade cabinet. It was, like, a almost like a replica of the of the cockpit of a helicopter. And it moved and everything. So, you know, that experience is still there. So I still think there's something to be said for arcades. Um, but this is, you know, the, these businesses are trying this out. There was a business called OnLive that the the open source android run gaming system known as ouya which is coming out in 2013 this year um you know they were going to have it go to on live and on live actually lets you play a lot of a lot of big games a lot of triple a games batman uh you know arkham arkham city uh or you know duke nukem forever or a whole bunch of big games you could play even though the ouya itself had very little you know very little power because it could access the internet so well and it had just enough power, it could play these big games for the Xbox PC or PS3 and just do it over the internet like he was describing. Um, but OnLive kind of fell, you know, it, it didn't, it, it's had problems. Um, I mean, I don't think, here's the thing, and, and David Perry in this article was, was very clear to say he realizes that the technology isn't exactly there yet. But it is coming. But that that is true because Internet connections are so spotty. I mean, if Google Fiber, um, you know, was everywhere instead of just in Kansas City to where you're getting, you know, these insane upload and download speeds that nowhere else in the world are really getting, um, then this, this would be here. This whole cloud gaming thing would would just be here. And but I, I think the industry is really pushing for this. In fact, there's there's been stories recently that the Xbox, the the the, the new Xbox, the Xbox 720 or whatever they're going to call it, uh, the sequel to the 360, is going to eliminate the notion of used games, of pre-owned games, you know. And I, I think there was rumors that the PS4 is going to just have, you know, it's not even going to have uh, used discs at all. It's just going to have an internal hard drive. Which, you know, that means that all you're going to do is download the games. You're not even going to go to GameStop to buy them. Um, So the industry is kind of going in this direction where things are at least even delivered by the cloud, by the Internet. And then I think the next thing is really just to create like, you know, I can imagine the next generation of consoles, if there even is a next generation of consoles. Um, will be pretty much PCs or maybe they won't even do consoles and they'll, they'll just come up with you know, they'll come up with their own servers. You, you get what I'm saying? They'll have like their own servers that 
will only have Uncharted on it. Or Microsoft will have their own servers that will only offer Halo, and you can only get it by subscribing to this server. And I think that's really the, rec- the direction all this is going. So I agree that cloud-based gaming is is where, I mean, that's where it's at. Um, there's still, there's always going to be those purist things. Uh, you take an example like Chris Roberts, the amazing Chris Roberts, his recent game, uh, Star Citizen, that he's going to be releasing in 2014, hopefully. Uh, Star Citizen or, or Squadron 42 is totally based, the entire basis of this game, it's a lot like the Wing Commander games, if you remember those, but the entire, the 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 thinking, the attitude behind this game is that there are still people that build these massive gaming PCs with tons of power. They cost thousands of dollars and that they want an experience that matches their hardware. And that can really only be done by having the hardware and then having the the game slash software that's built to run on it. And so I, I agree. I think that's still out there. And to prove that it's still out there is with Star Citizen. That was an entirely that was pretty much an entirely crowdfunded game. And they wanted to, like, you know, I think they needed to make like two or three million dollars. And they ended up making like 10 million. They raised 10 million dollars to make this game. So, yeah, the demands out there for games that make real use of heavy duty PC hardware, you know, so that's still out there. And maybe it'll always be out there. It'll just kind of turn into a hobby, kind of like Polaroid Pictures. Um, but it will always be there, but are the bulk of game is the bulk of gaming moving to the cloud? Absolutely. I think that's absolutely true. Um, and then, you know, you get some gamers who, you know, are, you know, maybe, maybe more of the educated type and they start to say, well, but what if, what if the internet shuts down? I can't play my game. You know, I mean, and lots of people complain about that because a lot of companies like Ubisoft and others are making it, are making their digital rights management as in their anti-piracy stuff to make it so that the game always has to be connected to the, to the internet to play. And a lot of people get frustrated by that because they, they're not always connected to the internet, but they may want to play the game. Um, the, you know, those people, I understand their frustration and at times I can agree with them, but like to say, well, what if the internet goes down? Look, if the internet goes down, you're not going to be worried about Assassin's Creed five. You're just not. I mean, if the internet crashes, society kind of crashes. Okay. Society will solve things. It's not gloom and doom. There is no apocalyptic scenario in my opinion. Just not by human hands. Anyway, there's no apocalyptic scenario that can actually come into fruition. But you know, that, that, that's my point is that you might, you might as well run with this because if the systems in place crash that allow for it to happen in the first place, your banking is going to be gone. You're not even going to be able to buy games. Okay, all these things are going to be, and and most likely all the electric is going to turn off. And then what are you going to do? You know, your laptop battery can only go so long. Oh, well, I've got a solar panel. You you set up a solar panel to play Xbox 360? I mean, I, 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 I appreciate that kind of passion for video games. Believe me, I can appreciate it. But really? So, you know, I mean, I, I get the complaints about this sort of thing. I understand that there's an entire, like, uh, counter-economy particularly with consoles where, you know, you, you get a bunch of games at one point and then you trade them all in and get the new games and you, you know, you're allowed to, to play a ton of games on a very small budget. I understand that. And that's a concern to have that that's going away. But I mean, these companies are not charities, you know, they want to make a ton of money and they're going to do what they can. And honestly, they're kind of within the rights to, to make as much money as they want. Uh, and if you don't like what they deliver, boycott, stop buying. That's, that's really the answer. I'll be back with more Sovereign Tech.
Are you searching for a mouth-watering, all-natural, sweet and sticky treat? What if I told you it was also made by a chef who believes in freedom, just like you? You're not dreaming. This is real. Head over to mandrik.com. That's M-A-N-D-R-I-K.com. There you'll find George's famous baklava in classic and dark chocolate flavors. Mm. To those with special health needs, George's famous baklava also has a treat for you. Golden delicious, low-carb, gluten-free almond cookies. Order with PayPal or Bitcoins. In just a few days, your sweet treats will await you right at your doorstep. One more time, that's M-A-N-D-R-I-K dot com for George's Famous Bacaba. Hacker Stories It is time for Hacker Stories where we celebrate, or at least bring to light, uh, the actions of some of the true heroes in our society today, those being hackers, be they gray hat, black hat, or white hat. Um, and this story is very interesting. It's from RT. And what the story is, is anonymous hackers release video of football stars bragging about rape. Oh my, what's this? And this raises some interesting questions, too. Um, discussion has been rekindled regarding the August 2012 rape and kidnapping of a teenage girl in Ohio after members of Anonymous have published a video showing a witness making light of the crime on film only moments after. Okay, so a girl was raped in August of 2012 in Ohio, and Anonymous somehow, we'll read in the article, uh, you know, got video and published the video of, um, you know, someone that, that, that saw, saw the rape happening, and he's cracking jokes. The clip released this week by an anonymous cell calling itself night sec is the word sec. If you don't know sec, when you, you'll hear that a lot, um, like lull sec, it means security. It's just short for security. Just, just, so you know, what does sec mean? Anyway, uh, calling itself night sec is reported to show former Steubenville, Ohio high school athlete, Michael Collin, uh, Nodianos bragging about the sexual assault from a friend's apartment. For 12 minutes, Nodianos laughs about a young woman who had, was reportedly drugged and raped at a party earlier in the evening in the small Ohio town. So this is from the day that it occurred, apparently. She is so raped, he says. Her puss is about as dry as the sun right now. She's deader than a doornail and deader than OJ's wife, he's recorded saying. Okay, it's all, it's all in the video. It's all recorded. Again, the link to this article will be in the show notes at soundcloud.com slash sovereign tech or at sovereigntech.tumblr.com. Shortly after the incident, authorities arrested two members of the Steubenville high school, big red football team, Trent Mays and Malik Richmond. But questions have continued to amount in the months since of particular concern, especially to anonymous, the, the hacker group is the lack of legal action taken against party goers who witnesses the rape videotaped it and shared images and tweets over social media, including Nodianos messages sent over his Twitter account have since been archived to show him making mocking the 16 year old rape victim song of the night is definitely rape me by Nirvana reads one of a few off color messages sent from Nodianos's alleged Twitter account after the incident. Members of NightSec have since attempted to expose members of Big Red with links to the involvement and have uncovered a smoking gun with the publishing of the video showing Nodianos making light of the assault. 
As their independent investigation widens, though, the hacktivists say they've uncovered something bigger than just one isolated assault. This is in quotes. The victim had been intentionally drugged with a date rape intoxicant. She was photographed and video was taken of her in this condition. And there is evidence that she was hauled in a comatose state to multiple parties and almost certainly raped by more members of the local high school football team than just the two players who currently stand charged. Reads a post on local leaks, which is a, a hacker site. Despite all this, it looked as though a town rife with corruption, cronyism, illegal gambling, and fixated upon their star high school football team, a major economic revenue engine, were prepared to orchestrate a major cover-up in order to sweep the entire affair under the rug. As this disclosure will will document, this cover-up was perpetrated by people in the high school administration, local government, and law enforcement. In the months since the assault, the Big Red community has, that's referring to the team, um, has has responding by rejecting allegations made by the media, NightSec, Anonymous, and others. Jim Parks, a supporter of the Steubenville High School Sports, has condemned NightSec after they compromised his uh, Roll Red Roll fan site, which is about the, the Big Red team. The outrageous claims, quote-unquote, that they made while controlling this site were totally false, completely absurd, and totally unfounded. They were clearly both libelous and slanderous and were not even intended to reveal truth, but rather simply to get media attention and terrorize the Steubenville community. Innocent people have been greatly harmed, he writes, but not before deeming NightSec terrorists and calling out the New York Times for deciding to aid and abet Anonymous by following through with an investigation with an investigation into the rape of a 16-year-old girl. We wish to make it clear that we will pursue legal justice against the perpetrators of these evil acts and all of those in the media who chose to help them, Parks writes of the hackers. So that's Jim Parks saying, saying that to the hackers. We're going to get them. Wait, did an... Did the members of NightSec rape the girl? No. Okay, we'll finish up with the article here. With the publishing of the Nadi- of the Nodianos film, though, he might have his hands full. In the two days after it was first released, the video was has already gone viral. Steubenville Police Chief William McCafferty tells CBS affiliate WTRF-TV that the video has been turned over to the prosecutors, in this case, the Ohio Attorney General Office. Now, I don't know what's come of this. This article is from... Uh, January 2013. So it's pretty recent. So maybe, you know, maybe not enough action has been taken yet, but wow. Wow. 16 year old girl getting raped by a football team. Um, I mean that, that, you know, that that's shocking in itself. And, you know, you can say, well, they were drunk, they were this, whatever, but then here comes the hackers looking into it, finding out what the heck is going on. You know, what is this? And they find there's, there's videos posted. Now I'm guessing these videos were all posted to like this, this roll red roll, you know, like fan site, um, you know, to, to where that was, you know, some of that was kind of available there, uh, or at least, you know, in, in the Twitter stuff. So they hacked into all these accounts to get all this information. And now here's, that's where things can get sticky in that okay did did nightsec did anonymous you know did did they break privacy did they did they invade someone's privacy and and you know and i it's tough for me to say because 
when you've got clearly this was all like 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 RT is saying, you know, that that anonymous is claiming that the that this was being covered up by the local government in Steubenville, Ohio, by the high school itself. You know, is is this breaking privacy? Uh, you know, what what <laughs> the, this girl, this sixteen year old girl who was apparently drugged. You know, she had no consent, no control over what was going on. Who, you know, what? Let's 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 go with this analogy. What if there was a friend of hers there? And by the way, I think it's very tasteful of RT not to mention the girl's name. Anyway, what if a friend, a good friend of hers was there and recorded everything that was going on? And that was given to the police. Would anyone have a problem with that? No, I don't think so. So my opinion on this is that Anonymous acted as a good friend. Might they have done this to get their name up in lights and to show just how you know good they are, what they do? Sure. Okay. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I, I don't object to the ability or to the fact that that may be part of the, you know, part of the reasoning. But anyway, I think Anonymous, I mean, just imagine them being that friend who said, no, I'll find out who did this to you or someone's got to know, or, you know, something, something along those lines. It was her defense and they did it through. I mean, and here's the thing. If this, if this guy, okay. Uh, Nodianos was looking for, was wanting privacy. Maybe he shouldn't have posted the stuff on Twitter. Really? I don't, I don't think there's a break of, of, of any kind of privacy, uh, you know, privacy rights here. I think this is amazing. I think this, you know, this girl has no one on her side. Clearly the entire town is trying to, to dust this under the rug. And yet here comes people of some moral standing, people who want accountability. That's what anonymous is all about. They want accountability. And I'm hoping, you know, I'll, I'll, I may update it, but you know, as more information about this case comes out, I may update on it, uh, in future episodes of sovereign tech, or maybe I'll post something on the Facebook page, um, which I, or the sovereign tech Belnea on Google plus. But th- I mean, th- th- this is really, really, really something, um, t- you know, to, to say that, that we kind of, that we live in the world where, where this sort of thing is possible, where this kind of openness is possible. And that's, that's one of the wonderful things about technology is that I think, you know, you can choose not to use it for your anonymity or you can choose it. And then there's like this, this kind of like this open, um, you know, this is what I'm doing and you know what I mean? And I have nothing to hide. Uh, you know, I mean, there's so many ways to go about it with technology, you know, so much, and, and that's great. But I mean, I, I really, I think this is absolutely heroic of anonymous to do, um, what got them involved in it? I do not know, you know, what exactly were they, were they thinking, um, okay, why do we want to look into this more? Uh, I'm not really sure. Maybe a member of anonymous is a friend of this, of this young girl. 16 years old getting raped and, you know, said to his buddies, you know, I am them and said, Hey, this happened. We need to find out what the heck just happened. And, you know, and then they did, they got video 
and, that, and that's the thing like this guy and it's 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 so depressing because jim parks uh a major according to the article a major supporter of Steubenville high school sports you know he's there he's like oh he calls he called anonymous the terrorists not the guys who raped the 16 year old girl he calls them the terrorists what and then he says, like, oh, it's all libel, it's slanderous, none of it's true. And then what does NightSec do? What does Anonymous do? They post the video and said, go ahead, tell me that now. Tell me that, I, that, I'm, that I'm lying. And it's not because, I mean, you can see the video. Nodianos is making an absolute joke out of the fact that this girl is drugged and getting raped. And who knows, who knows what else went on? I mean, Anonymous is the one doing the actual investigative journalism. Apparently, the CBS in the, in the town isn't. They're probably just, you know, in with the local town saying, okay, you know, we, yeah, we got this great football team. We got to hide this stuff. And, you, you know, you get these stories a lot. You know, maybe that's part of what Anonymous w- was part of their thing, was that you, you get this a lot where, like, these sports guys or these sports teams are, you know, bigger than the law. They're, you know, they're so important to the economy and they're so important to, like, the spirit of the town or, or of a state or of a country or something that they can kind of get away with proverbial murder or, in this case, literal rape. You know, maybe Anonymous is like, yeah, you know what? We're going to show the ugly side of all this, of, of this kind of this, this tribalism, this, uh, this communal thinking, whatever. And I think they did. And I, and I, I think they did, they did a pretty amazing job. I, you know, I'm not going to claim to know how they pulled all this off. Um, and, and again, I understand where some people are like, well, this is scary, you know, cause then that means Anonymous could like look at, you know, hack and maybe hack into my phone or something and, uh, you know, look at, uh, whatever, maybe some videos of, of an orgy that I just had and they could see that, um, you know, while, while that's certainly possible, keep that in mind when you record these things. You know, if you want, if you want some privacy with, you know, this, this is the world we live in. I wish there was privacy. I really do. I wish that we could just flick switches on all our devices that say, okay, I never want this to go anywhere other than my eyes. I really, really do. But that's not the world we live in. And so we have, you know, unfortunately we have to be responsible with, with the idea that I claimed earlier in the show. It's an old hacker rule that what you're doing is being watched. Okay. So, you know, in this case, if you wanted to do a video recording, maybe you should get, you know, a nice high end camera that doesn't connect to anything, you know, and uses like an SD card or something, or has an internal hard drive that you can genuinely control whether or not it's ever, it can get hacked, you know, hacked into, or, or, you know, that it goes online or something. So maybe that's something to consider. Okay. But I really, I don't feel, I don't feel that, that any privacy rights were invaded here because again, um, there's, there's recordings of this being, I mean, the video wasn't taken by anonymous. The video was taken by the guy there who wanted to record it happening. That's sick in itself. Okay. But then also these people were sending out tweets saying, Oh yeah, this girl's getting raped. This is great. If you're putting it up on Twitter, you know, what kind of, Oh, well, there's only certain people I want to see. I mean, come on. Your expectation of privacy should be gone by that point. So, but you you know, the, the really, here's something I'd like to see, you know, maybe CBS, maybe some of these news outlets, maybe they already have, but maybe they should start hiring hackers to do some real journalism or maybe the police, instead of going after hackers 
and locking them up should be hiring them. Not that I like police, you know, or like the idea of the police, I should say. I think there's police officers that are just, you know, nice people. But I'm just saying that anyway, maybe these institutions should be hiring hackers to do some actual detective work. Because I wonder if anonymous can do this with a rape case, what could they do with a murder case? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I mean, and, and, and granted, you know, I'm totally open and, and maybe this is controversial as far as privacy uh, rights go, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't help but call them heroes for doing this because clearly, uh, and there's other stories that you can read up about this, uh, that they link to within this story. Uh, clearly it doesn't appear that anybody's out there fighting for the 16 year old girl. No one's out there defending her. They just want this to go away. You know, and, and if you want to, oh, well, they're young, blame the alcohol, blah, blah, blah. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, you know, he was in the military. He was trained to kill, so he killed. That may not be a fair comparison, but you get my point. People are still responsible for their actions. I don't care, um, you know, what, what they're doing, what they're taking. Um, we talked earlier in the show how, you know, there's soldiers who were given uh, dexedrine, I believe it was, and that, you know, they felt weird and, you know, really, and the soldiers can say, I'm not going to take this stuff. No way. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to kill anymore. I did that. I went, I said, as a soldier, I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. Okay. So people are still responsible for their actions to some degree. We, you know, we, we can't just like write everything off because of drugs or because of this or that. And, and I say, good. I mean, if you know, you know what, if, if videotaping, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you have, if you have feelings that different feelings than I do on this, uh, you know, email me at sovereigntech at hush.ai. Uh, you can talk about it in the Sovereign Tech Balnea on Google+, Plus, um, which is actually, you know, there's some action happening there now. Uh, you can you can go to the Facebook page, the Sovereign Tech Facebook page, um, you know, or message me on the Tumblr page. You know, there's a lot of ways to get in touch with the show. And, you know, let me know what you think. Yeah, I mean, maybe, and, and you know what, if you change my mind about this being an attack on privacy rights, I'll mention it right up on the show. I won't just do it in the show notes. I'll, I'll do a full correction. I will always do a full correction. So please, I am always open. I, Brian Sovereign, albeit a genius, I am always, always open to being wrong about something or in missing facts. And so if you've got something, you know, please don't hesitate to call me out on it. I am totally open to that. Um, yeah, so here it is, you know, anonymous is doing detective work and journalism at the same time and hopefully bringing some degree of justice to an absolute tragic incident that happened to a 16-year-old girl. Um, and I congratulate them. I'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. This is Brian Sovereign. This is Stephanie Murphy, Sovereign Tech Producer. You may know me from this show, but did you know that I have my own podcast? It's called Pork Therapy. 
Pork Therapy is a bit different from other shows. We cover current events, big ideas, and even relationship issues, all through the lens of how we can get more freedom in our lives. Oh, and you'll love Sex and Science Hour. Join me on my website, porktherapy.com. That's P-O-R-C therapy.com. Now back to Sovereign Tech. doing? I can't believe I caught you again. You know, Jesus doesn't approve of this little habit of yours. I know, baby. I know it's wrong, but it feels so right. Well, it ain't. But I've been doing it since I was 12 years old. It's nothing but a sinful perversion of nature, if you ask me. But, baby, I don't ever want to stop looking at tech websites, new gadgets, video games, software, or any of that stuff. Well, Then I'm leaving. Okay. Bye. Pick of the week. It is time for pick of the week. Oh boy. I uh, had the mute button on. Don't want to know what was just going on, but anyway, I'll move on. Um, (laughs) It is pick of the week where I get to choose to talk about whatever I happen to care to want to talk about. Um, and it can be, you know, uh, a, a story, a TV show, um, you know, uh, a music, movie, software, whatever. I can talk about whatever I like. And this week it's going to be another TV show. And the TV show, I'm actually, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm letting the cat out of the bag. I'm going to be creating an ad for this show, just like I did uh, for this TV show I'm about to mention, just like I did with Babylon 5. And... This show is Buck Rogers in the 25th century. <laughs> I know you're thinking, what? Yeah, this is the one with Gil Gerard and uh, um, uh, Aaron Gray from way, uh, way back, you know, 1980, 81. And it's a show that went two seasons um, made by Glenn Larson, who also created the amazing and, uh, you know, really revolutionary uh, Battlestar Galactica in 1978. Uh, at least way more revolutionary than its modern incarnation is. And uh, this Buck Rogers was, I mean, when you watch it, I mean, you can definitely tell what time frame it's from, you know, no, no doubt about it. like, I mean, the styles and everything, everybody's wearing like tight Lycra and all this stuff. And, um, you know, so, so it feels like the eighties, uh, no, no doubt about that. And, and I mean, the effects have not aged well, uh, not that I'm ever worried about that because I think, you know, really, I, I think effects are, are secondary to the story anyway. So if the story is great, the effects, you know, whatever, they don't turn me off, or at least I, I don't feel that they should turn somebody off if it has great messages. Um, I mean, and it's not a show that has like a whole bunch of morality to it or anything. It's just kind of fun. You know, it's over the top and it's fun. Um, you know, so I wouldn't make any like big claim for it to say, oh yeah, you're going to get wonderful lessons out of this or something. Uh, but you know, the interesting thing, the reason I'm doing it as my pick of the week is because I think there's really something missing from science fiction today. Um, cause when you look at the science fiction back then, not the science fiction from the seventies, but more from, or maybe the late seventies, but more from the late seventies and the eighties and the nineties, there was this real like sense of like, everything was clean. 
Like everything was, you know, like white wall and, you know, everything was kind of clean and everything was very opulent. Like everybody had plenty of stuff, you know, life, life is good. Even though in Buck Rogers, it is a society that came out of like a terrible war, but obviously they came out of it pretty good because I mean, everything like, you know, everybody's very healthy, a lot of technological advancements. And again, everything's very clean. Um, you know, and, and in the early seventies, as as well as I mean, even Star Wars is kind of criminal of this and other things. You know, everything's really kind of gritty. You know, or today, like everything's like bad. There's no heroes anymore. You know, everybody's flawed. Which I mean, I guess the case could be made that everybody is flawed. But c- come on, you know, isn't it nice if you're watching science fiction? If you're watching a story in the future, wouldn't it be nice to know that people have gotten it psychologically together finally, instead of wanting to like relate? You know, to to well, oh yeah, he had terrible problems. So did I. You know, maybe you want that. I don't know. Maybe that makes you feel more comfortable and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, but I see that as something really missing from science fiction. That message of hope is absolutely gone. That message of that things are going to get better is gone. Like, I, you know, I, I mean, I can't help but wonder, you know, Star Trek got canceled after an 18 year straight run of Star Trek entertainment. And I can't help but feel that, like, the reason it, it, the, the ratings went down was because people... I don't know. Maybe people were just that depressed, you know, to where they thought that a future of that kind of, of a future of hope, a future of things being good, a future of opulence, a future of happiness. Maybe they didn't see that as like as plausible anymore or something. And that's very sad. You know, I, I, I really, I think this, this is really missing and you can say, well, you know, there's a new Star Trek movie coming out. Um, and in that everything looks like, you know, like the bridge of the enterprise looks like something out of that Apple would have made. Um, and that's true, but then this whole, the new movie coming out for Star Trek in the year, this year in 2013, the new movie, everything's like, everything's getting destroyed and everything's terrible and, you know, and all this stuff. And, and it's like, and, and I, I just, I think back to like Buck Rogers in the 25th century and I say to myself, yeah, what happened to the really hopeful, like, you know, everything will eventually be okay. And that everything will be nice and everything and we will have, you know, everything we've ever wanted. And we're going to we are going to enter that post scarcity world that all of us anarchists dream of, you know, to where where food and supplies aren't aren't scarce anymore. Uh, Maybe which has a lot to do with being in space. And so it's a lot of fun to watch. It's interesting to watch to see people like smiling in science fiction. I know that's so rare. That just doesn't happen anymore. Um, and you know, and it's fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the gritty stuff I can, or dystopian things. I can dig that, you know, now and again, but when that's all there is, I just, you know, I mean, a lot of people look to science fiction for inspiration, you know, and then maybe some degree of hope. I mean, I was raised by, by, by television. I, I readily admit that that's because the people I thought, you know, on TV were far more interesting than my parents. And I, I wanted to, you know, essentially be more like the people on TV than I did. You know, I wanted to be Captain Kirk. I didn't want to be my dad, you know, cause I, I, I didn't care much for my dad. So, you know, so I, I, I worry that when, you know, when kids are looking for that better world, especially today, because the world, you know, in, in a lot of ways is very rough in a very, in a lot of very real ways, especially in the United States is very rough. So when kids go to look for that escapism in science fiction, you know, to see a better future there, there's no, it's nowhere to be seen. They have to go to 1980, you know, they have to go to Buck Rogers in the 25th century to find something, something so cheesy and over the top and opulent that actually says, Oh, right. Everything will be okay. 
because humans will solve these problems eventually with the help of technology and whatever else. You know, again, Buck Rogers isn't some kind of wonderful libertarian media. It's not even close. Um, in fact, if, if I remember correctly, you know, the humans aren't even in charge anymore. They, they let this like computer console council, um, you know, these little like computer guys, these little round computer guys, uh, you know, do all the, that they can't even defend themselves. Um, you know, they, they pretty much run everything. So humans have stopped running the world, but they're happy. Hmm? Anyway, you know, so it's not a libertarian vision of any kind, but more so than any other, any other, uh, science fiction franchise or television show that I can think of. It has a happy tone, you know, and sure it's cheesy, but that's okay. What's wrong with cheesy? What's, what's wrong with thinking, you know, what's wrong with being happy? That's really all cheesy is, is that it's unrealistic. Well, the realistic, you know, depictions of what life is on every other form of entertainment, I think is, is nonsense and garbage. Okay. Because things aren't bad. You can live the life you want and you can be happy. You know, everything isn't doom and gloom. And I, I think, I think my wanting to do this as a pick of the week is a response to the doom and gloom that seems to be getting pushed, not just in fiction, but I think in nonfiction too. And I think that's really sad. So anyway, if you want to have a good, uh, some fun, check out Buck Rogers in the 25th century. I, I still get an absolute charge every time I watch that show. At least watch the first couple episodes. Anyway, uh, any questions, any comments, you, you know, SovereignTech at Hush.ai, let me know. This has been Brian Sovereign, the Rembrandt of the podcast in Canvas, and I'll see you next week. This has been Sovereign Tech. Visit us at SovereignTech.tumblr.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech dot T-U-M-B-L-R dot com. There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share. Later, nerds.